and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. To view the entirety of our service, please visit our Facebook page at The Tabernacle Family or our YouTube channel at The Tabernacle Today. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Now, uh, what I like about that video portrayal of tonight's text there was that uh, it showed the actor in, I believe the video is that Acts of the Apostles that goes back uh, to the 80s or 90s when they did that. But the actor, uh, Dean Jones, that was in several Disney things, he portrays Luke there. And it literally takes word for word the, the text as it lays it out there. But I liked when he pulled aside the young man and the young man said what the young man that uh, Paul had spoken to said there. And it, and it shows that um, something I believe was true in the early church. And that is that before a lot of things got written down, they would tell over and over again uh, the, um, what, what was the book of Acts, you know. Uh, and so they could uh, basically, as they were saying it, could recite it to each other, you know. And so we talk a lot about scripture memory and perhaps you've met some people that have entire books of the Bible or uh, I know at Bryan College when I was there, two professors had the entire New Testament memorized. Uh, we had uh, Marquis Laughlin with us this past year that recited for us basically the book of Revelation, uh, uh, which was awesome, you know. And so uh, I think there was a time or two in the video portrayal where a little child was shown smiling, you know, and you're thinking, wait a second, he's delivering some heavy information there. Why does it show her smiling? Because she knew how it was going to turn out, you know, that God was miraculously delivering Paul. And I, I think that's really neat. Now, you have perhaps heard it said that God doesn't give people more than they can handle. That's not true, is it? Uh, I've heard that God, God won't give you more than you can handle, but the truth is God often gives people more than, can hand, than they can handle in their own strength. Uh, he sure has me, you know. Sometimes people ask how I'm doing, and I say, well, I'm whelmed. Not overwhelmed, but I'm whelmed, you know, just a lot of little details to take care of, and I'm so, so thankful for the prayers of God's people that oftentimes uh, I'm able to do something that I didn't think I had the strength to do, and it's ever apparent to me, you know, that God's the prayers of people like you uh, make all the difference. Um, I was talking to one of our members uh, today, and he had a very important meeting with a supervisor this past week, and so I'd been praying for him about it, and uh, then I asked him how it went, and he said, well, it was very interesting, you know, as we got to talking about the topic at hand, uh, the, uh, my supervisor and I disagreed about some particulars, but by the end of the conversation, my supervisor had agreed with me about everything. And I thought, well, that sounds like God's prayer went ahead of you, you know, and uh, helped you get on the same page about things. And in this case, it worked out in your favor because of the respectful, gracious way that you addressed uh, the issue and things. So, so thankful for that. Um, 
In God's strength, we can face every challenge he allows to come our way, and we can do all things he's called us to do through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So in chapter 22, we saw the commander rescue Paul from a Jewish mob in the temple in Jerusalem, and that mob wanted to rip him up. They wanted to tear him limb from limb. They would have killed him for something he had not done. Paul had surprised the commander by speaking to him in Greek. Uh, he thought, well, golly, you know my language, Greek? And the commander uh, then let him speak to the crowd, and Paul spoke to them in Hebrew, which the commander did not know, Hebrew or Aramaic. Um, and he shared his testimony with them and enough of the gospel to call them to turn to Jesus for the washing away of their sins. But when Paul stated that the gospel was also for Gentiles or non-Jews, that Jewish uh, mob renewed their attack on Paul. And the commander, man, he didn't know Hebrew, so he didn't know what Paul had said. And upon further discussion, he realized Paul was a Roman citizen. Um, now, they have an interesting exchange. We saw it last time because the guy said, well, I, it took me a lot to get my freedom. Uh, you know, it took me a lot to go from slave to citizen, you know, uh, you know and uh, how did you get it? And Paul said, well, I was born with it. And in Roman law, if you were born with it, if you were born free, you couldn't be made a slave. <laughs> but if you were uh, born, if you were a slave and bought your freedom, there was a chance you could go back into slavery if you did something dumb before a mob of people and got in trouble with the law. So that's what the commander was really asking, you know. And when he found out that Paul had the bona fide highest level of Roman rights, he's like, uh-oh, I need to go on. Um, for him to hold Paul, he needed to know what Paul was potentially guilty of, and that brings us to our passage for today. So, never deterred, your fill in the blank is deterred there, chapter 22, verse 30 through 23, 10. 22, 30, it says, the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released Paul from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all the council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So it shows Paul, uh, it shows this uh, centurion, um, this, this commander, sorry, gathering the Jewish Sanhedrin together to make their charge against Paul and placing him before them. So the Jews were allowed semi-rule under Roman authority, and the Sanhedrin was the group of 70 uh, Jewish leaders that would meet and hear things. And so that's what's going on here. So it says in verse 1, then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, the Sanhedrin, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Conscience was a big deal for Paul. So it's always important for us to live with a good conscience too, but Paul really models that as we go through the pages of his writings and uh, the book of Acts. Conscience was a big deal for Paul. He actually uses that word 21 times in his letters. And since he wrote 13 letters, that's a lot. Um, I think I gave you the quote by Warren Wearsby because I just love so much that what he says, but the word conscience means to know with, to know together. So con means with, and then science means knowledge. So with knowledge, the word means to know with, to know together. Conscience is the inner judge or witness that approves when we do right and disapproves when we do wrong. We're going to look at Romans 2.15 in a minute, but conscience does not set the standard. It only applies it. So the standard comes from God's truth that's out there, uh, and especially the truth that's in the Word as people hear it preached, and the Holy Spirit uses the word preached to prick people's conscience. But look what Romans uh, Paul said in Romans 2. So you might want to turn to Romans 2. And I'm going to read verses 14 to 16 once I get there also. 
So Jews had the Torah, they had the law given by God on Mount Sinai to Moses. And of course, uh, they, they, so they, they studied it. They uh, preached, the prophets preached from it. You know, they told the people, God said, do this. You didn't, you know, you ought to feel bad. And, uh, you know, when they didn't just in themselves, sometimes the preaching and the reminder helped prick that conscience, you know. Uh, but Gentiles also somehow know it's wrong to lie, know it's wrong to steal, uh, and those things. And Paul addresses that in Romans 2. He says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these also not having the law are a law to themselves. Verse 15, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So Jews had a ten commands that among them said, do not lie, don't bear false witness. Um, but even throughout world history, Gentiles, when they've lied, have felt like, oh, I shouldn't have lied to my boo, you know, or my friend, or, you know, my uh, before anyone else, bae, as some of the kids say and stuff, or they did say it, I think that's old now. Um, but, um, you know, they, they know it's wrong too. But they, they've, they've never read the Old Testament. But God's Holy Spirit has put conscience as a key for even Gentiles, and they just know it's wrong and that's from God also. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.2 says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced shameful secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's message, but in God's sight we commend ourselves to every person's conscience by an open display of the truth. Again, I tell you, conscience was a big deal for Paul, and he probably was again in this passage going to make the case that he was not guilty of blasphemy because Jesus was their Messiah. They said, you're guilty of blasphemy. He's like, man, I would tear my conscience up if I blasphemed my God. But calling Jesus God and calling Jesus the Savior and the Messiah, that's not blasphemy because he really is. So it's the truth, you know. That's why I can tell you that with a clean conscience, Paul was saying. He says, you know, I was one of you. I used to be one of you, Pharisees, you know. I used to take letters. He told us last time I got letters from the high priest and I would go and I wanted to stop this Christian movement. Um, you know, I was zealous for the law. And he said, you know, it's not that I've changed uh, my approach. I'm still zealous for the things of God. I just came to understand I was wrong about whether Jesus was the Messiah or not. He really, really is. Um, so the high priest Ananias didn't let it go that get that far where he could share more about Jesus. Look at chapter 23, verses 2 or 3. The high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike Paul on the mouth. Well, how do you do? Here we are. Uh, we're, we're just trying to uh, present our case and all of a sudden get popped in the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you commend me, command me to be struck contrary to the law? And here's what you need to know about Ananias. And he was a nasty and corrupt man. Uh, he stole tithes. This is historical record. Josephus, I think, is the one that tells us this, but others do. It's a matter of public record. So he stole tithes from other priests, priests, and he politicked for increased authority. He was regarded as a brutal man who was more about currying favor with Rome than Israel's welfare. So rather than being a, a holy man who was Israel's priest, he was in the position as priest 
high priest because of his political connections with Rome, who did not care about God, the things of God, right? So that's how he'd gotten in there. It's interesting that Paul said, God's going to strike you whitewashed wall. He's he's calling him a hypocrite, right? And he's using the same language of Ezekiel and Jesus also in the Gospels. A truth-seeking high priest would never dole out punishment before a fair hearing. And that's why Paul said that, because, you know, the law made very clear that you're supposed to, that that these uh, that the priests among their responsibilities was to help get to the bottom of a matter uh, as impartially as possible, and Ananias didn't want to hear any in, uh, evidence. He wanted to get Paul the way that once upon a time they had gotten Jesus right. Uh, so Paul's words, by the way, did become a bit of a prophecy. Uh, When the Jews revolted against Rome 10 years after this, this is about 56 AD, but in 66 AD, 10 years later, Ananias fled for his life as the people sought to get him for his Roman sympathies. They're like, oh, you know, there was a revolt against Rome by the Jews. Uh, It's the same one that would lead to the absolute just destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70. But at AD 66, when it broke out, uh, Ananias is like, huh, I have really been corrupt and I've, you know, abused my authority among these people, these Jews that, you know, are my fellow Jews, and uh, uh, Rome's in trouble. I'm getting out of here. And he did. He tried to flee. But guess what? They found him hiding at Herod's palace and they killed him. So the Jews did rise up and kill this corrupt high priest later on. Here's Paul standing with them 10 years earlier. Now, from verses 4 and 5, we gathered that Paul didn't know he was the high priest. And you say, well, how could that be? Now tell me what you know or you think you know about Paul that may have been one of the reasons why he didn't recognize the high priest. Any guesses? He in Galatians says, I think it's Galatians, in one of the the letters that he writes, we'll get it right here in the next couple weeks, but (laughs) in one of the letters that he writes, he says, I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And in another letter, he says, look, I'm, I'm writing you a hello at the end of my letter, so you know I sign my letters. Uh, and he says, look with what big handwriting I use, which is uh, uh, something that people with poor eyesight also do. Uh, they um, don't always see uh, that the ball was out in pickleball and stuff like that. You know, they think it's in. And I, I have that problem when I play. It all happens so fast and stuff as our eyes go, you know, and these things. Um but uh, that was an inside joke a little bit for playing early with the Davisons. Um, but anyway, um, and he, Paul also talked about his thorn in the flesh, right? In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he talked about his thorn in the flesh. And a lot of people, a lot of scholars believe that that was eyesight. Well, how would that square with this? The high priest is standing pretty close to him and he doesn't recognize him. Uh, so if you had poor eyesight and you just receive a bit of a beating, uh, it's even harder for your for the, everything to work right when you just have been beaten, you know, or when your eyes are swollen from crying a lot and stuff like that. So um, it may have also been uh, that uh, they called this meeting hastily and um, uh, Ananias came not dressed in his regalia as the high priest, but instead in informal clothing. So maybe it had something to do with that. Maybe they knew who he was and Paul had been out of town for a while and thus didn't recognize him. Uh, So look at verse uh, six, the first part there. It says, but when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees uh, and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council. 
Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. So this would be like standing in the middle of uh, the uh, Reynolds Sunday School class and saying, uh, who's for Duke and who's for Carolina, and just watching the play split down the middle, you know. Um, uh, The Pharisees did believe in the resurrection. They did not like Paul, but they did believe in the resurrection. And the Sadducees denied the resurrection. They didn't believe there was hope after this life. That's why they were sad, you see, right? Uh, Because they didn't have the hope of anything after this life, which would make a person sad. Um, So Paul realizes, uh, you know, that uh, uh, if he throws that out there, uh, he's going to gain some Pharisee support. At least it's going to make them, you know, uh, it's going to get him able to, hopefully in here get back in on the gospel and that not only did he believe in the resurrection of the dead but Jesus has done that he is the resurrection of life the one who believes in him will live even if they die uh, but uh, they, they're just going at it now Pharisees and Sadducees oh Paul's right about that hey this is you know so they're going back to their ancient arguments between conservatives and liberals and in this case uh, the Pharisees were right you know that uh, there is a future resurrection and they believe the Bible in a way that the Sadducees didn't so the Sadducees in some ways correspond to the uh, modern liberal Christian, quote-unquote Christian, who rejects the authority of Scripture, rejects some of the teachings of the Scripture, and uh, in that case, uh, Paul's trying to get them back to the Bible here. Now, let's be clear. Every believer, every Jew should have believed that there was a future resurrection, both then and now. Uh, and let's look at a couple of those places just to nail this down, that this uh, you know, was truly an Old Testament expectation. Uh, if you can get there, turn to the book of Job. So Job occurs just before Psalms to let you know about where it is. Sometimes it's hard to find. I love this passage so much in the book of Job because he's lost his... Uh, kids his wife and him had a fight <laughs> he uh, his, his friends uh, keep on con- accusing him of sinning somehow to bring on the trouble that he's having he's lost all his possessions for the most part it's been taken away through these series of storms that God uh, brought in the allowed Satan to bring in the, in the first couple chapters um, then Job had physical health failure too so he's just really a mess. But he's clinging to his faith. Uh, I know you know that he argues and some with the guys. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he's not saying that he's not a sinner. He's just saying, I really can't think of anything I did to bring this on. And um, his uh, comforters become his accusers and said, come on, Job, what'd you do? What'd you do? And so Job gets increasingly agitated and he says, you know, I just wish there was a place you could go and put God on trial for this kind of thing and talk directly to him, you know. And be careful what you ask for, because Job had questions for God. And then when God does show up, <laughs> God's got about 100 questions in a row for Job. And Job essentially says, never mind. What he really needed to do was just have God show up, you know, and, and, and that's it for us. You know, we talk about questions we'll have for one day, like with why Vicky so soon, you know, and, and that sort of thing why anybody has to go through grief at the loss of a loved one. Uh, and then Job says, well, I've, you know, I'll be asking the questions, thank you, when we get there. But in the midst of his storm, Job has this amazing passage 
where he um, expresses confidence in God, but not just confidence in God, but confidence in the future resurrection of those who know God. And it is very powerful. We should all kind of lock in our minds somewhere Job 19 as a place to go. Uh, and remember that Job probably, uh, you know, even though um, the story doesn't get written down until probably the time of Solomon, maybe by Solomon, Job, we believe, is a historical story going all the way back to about the same time as Abraham. So this is one of the oldest things that happened in the biblical record. Job 19, verse 23. Oh, that my words were written that they were inscribed in a book. Boy, you reckon if he, wonder if he knew they would be one day. You know, pretty cool. Verse 24. Engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. Verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand at last on the earth. So he knows he's got a Redeemer. And he knows that that Redeemer is going to stand on the earth one day. He's looking into the future. He's going to stand at last on the earth. In the last days, he's going to stand on the earth. And then he says, and after my skin is destroyed, and the word for destroyed is literally struck off. After my skin is struck off, this I know. He's basically saying, after I die, and this old flesh just fails me. Look what he says. In my flesh, I shall see God. Well, wait a second. If your flesh is struck off and you're dead, what are you talking about? He's talking about the future resurrection of his own body, right? So God's going to be in a body. He's going to be in a body. This redeemer in a body, he in a body. Verse 27, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Oh, so many good things there. Job knows he's got a redeemer. He knows that redeemer is going to be around after all the things that don't make sense now are gone in this, this earthly time we're in now. And he knows he's going to be alive in a better body than the one he's got now because his body's going to be struck off, but he's going to be in a body and see God in a body one day and be forever with him. Pretty neat. Pretty neat. Um, so that's future resurrection, right? One of the oldest passages in the Bible. And then the great passage, Isaiah 53. It's worth going to also. Isaiah 53 You'll be aware that this is right in the middle uh, or right at the end of the great um, Isaiah 53. And the great Isaiah 53 really starts at the end of Isaiah 52. So if you go to the end of Isaiah 52 and read it to the end of Isaiah 53, you've got about 20 times in 20 verses that talks about the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his death for sinners. All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But not just his death, but also his resurrection. So Isaiah 53, 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It, pre it pleased Yahweh to bruise him, this uh, Messiah figure. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. That's what atonement means. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. So this one who will die will prolong his days and he's going to see his seed. He's going to see the results of his labors and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many for he will bear their iniquities. Verse 12, therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He will see his seed. He will prolong his days. So he'll prolong his days. He'll see the results of his efforts. Future resurrection. That's why in John 11, 
when Jesus uh, said, your brother will rise again, Lazarus was dead and in the grave. And Martha said, well, I know he'll rise at the resurrection of the last day. See, she was showing this future hope that Jews were to have based on these and other Old Testament passages. So I love that even amidst the most hostile crowds, Paul was not deterred from slipping in a gospel witness. He was never deterred. And in Acts 23.10, look what it says there. When they arose, a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down, take him by force from among them, and bring him into the barracks. Um, So we do thank God for proper law and order. Uh, Paul almost always was treated well by Roman authorities, until Nero killed him, that is. But you wonder if this Claudius Lysus, this guy that he stood before, man, it'd be great if he was in heaven due to his interaction with Paul. And we know that Paul did some of his best evangelism in prisons because everywhere he went, prisoners got saved and people that were part of the guards guarding him got saved and stuff. So pretty neat. The next uh, entry is never alone. Never deterred, never alone. Verse 11, a simple verse. But it says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you've testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Never alone. You know, Paul must have been feeling alone and discouraged. And um, we don't have any record of anyone from the Jerusalem church coming to encourage him. Maybe they did. We just don't know if they did or not. But God himself didn't leave Paul alone. And I love these places where we read something like in 2311, where it says, the Lord stood by him. Repeat that with me. The Lord stood by him. Sometimes that just makes all the difference. Sometimes that's all you have. The crowd you used to run with has deserted you. Your family members have turned away. Some people you thought you were your friends won't return your calls or texts, or maybe they've defriended you on Facebook. That's hard for so many. But if you belong to Jesus, you're not spiritually alone, even if you're physically alone. And as you have in that next note, this is the greatest promise of the Bible, the presence of God in the life of a believer, no matter what we're going through as we serve him. We can be never deterred because we're never alone. So many times when I do a graveside service, I use Psalm 23, where it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, O Lord. Greatest promise in the Bible that he's with us as we face death, as we do hard things. When Moses died, Joshua 1, uh, Joshua said, I can't be Moses. I can't do what Moses did. And God said, don't be silly. (laughs) Be strong and courageous. Of course you can replace Moses, not because you're as good as Moses. And that don't even matter. What matters is I'm with you. So what I want to have happen will happen through you. And it's neat how the Lord encouraged Joshua along the way. Moses was able to part the sea at the command of God and walk through. Same thing happened with Joshua once upon a time as they went through uh, the Jordan River right on the way into the promised land. And there's lots of those little things where it's just this generation's version. Elijah and Elisha, same thing. Matthew 28 gives that promise to every believer, right? Jesus gives the great commission, go into all the world and make disciples. At the very end of that, he says, Lo, I'm with you and you and you and you and you and you and me, always even until the end of the age. We already saw a time Paul was discouraged, and God came to him in Corinth in a vision, a dream, and said, Keep on going, Paul. I got many people in this city, and I'm with you, right? And sometimes that makes all the difference. That did here again. Because God is with us, we can courageously fulfill our testimony by doing what he has called us to do. And that's why Philippians 14, 13 has in mind when it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
Philippians 4.13, great verse. It doesn't mean that a guy that wants to dunk a basketball can dunk a basketball. You know, it's uh, okay. Give your teenagers that poster and stuff, your grandchildren and others. Uh, but what it means is what God has said I need to do, he can strengthen me to do, and his presence will be with me as I do it. And sometimes that just means getting up and going on with the day when you don't feel like getting up and going on with the day, right? It means uh, calling that person when God uh, lays them on your heart. Um, sometimes, you know, it's an unpleasant conversation because of something. You just do it. Uh, sometimes it means, uh, you know, um, pain in the offering, right, as the song says. When you uh, know that the Lord's calling you to, uh, you know, be generous, but it's hard to do because uh, it's sacrificial in this case, like the lady that Jesus commended. He said she, she put in more than all of them because, you know, they, they gave out of their surplus and she gave the last thing she had now but I know if Jesus could tell us the rest of the story he's like you know but I'm not going to tell you is how I provided for her in the days after that you know uh, well never deterred never alone but also never forgotten so the fill in the blanks actually were the same as the title <laughs> which uh, hopefully will help uh, anybody that missed one so humanly speaking, Paul was in a very dangerous situation. According to verses 12 through 15, 40 men committed themselves to kill Paul before they ate again with the full support of the Sanhedrin. Now, wow, so one day in, they were hungry and wanted to kill Paul. Two days in, they were hungry and wanted to kill Paul. These guys wanted to kill Paul so they could have a Big Mac, you know, and go on. Um, if they had succeeded, of course, Paul would have instantly gone to heaven because he wrote in Philippians 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he was ready to die, but also ready to live amidst uncertainty and suffering if it meant more opportunities to influence people for Jesus. Now, that's where we saw it on the video there. It's in the text here. God sovereignly allowed Paul's nephew. So if you're keeping track of details about Paul's life, we know at least one thing. He had a sister. And he had a nephew because it says it was his sister's son, right? So we, we know that. He, he, Paul was not an only child. So uh, sometimes you just want to keep track of the things you're learning as you go, right? And this factors in when you think about the Paul, life of Paul. Uh, you know, it looks like he was a lifelong single man. Uh, but we know that he at least had a sister, had a nephew. And that adds to rounding out that he also had some family to uh, check in on. Um, and that uh, this kid somehow had access to the, uh, you know, the, the place where Paul was being held. Um, so Paul's nephew hears of this plot, uh, and I, I, I'm wrong. It's not the place he was held. It would have been where the Sanhedrin, this plot was going on. So, uh, you know, maybe Paul's nephew, uh, you know, we think maybe he's a follower of Christ. Maybe he was a, um, you know, a Jewish kid that didn't want his uncle to get killed, you know, but he passes it along to Paul. Paul tells Lysias, and then Lysias sends Paul to the provisional palace in the middle of the night guarded by 470 men. If you look at your map later in the back of your Bible, you're going from Jerusalem to the sea, uh, to the sea Caesarea, or Caesarea is what he said on the video, Caesarea. You hear Caesar in there, and you might be aware that Herod and the leaders, the Roman leaders, that was their capital there. They loved being there. They would come down to Jerusalem for the festival to take photo ops because they're over the area. You need to go where the biggest thing's happening, and they would go to the festivals, just like people go to the Daytona 500, you know, or whatever. And uh, 
So he's got to get Paul from Jerusalem up to Caesarea, and the plot was to kill him on the road, and 40 men aren't going to be able to beat 470 Roman soldiers. As good as the temple guard was, they weren't that good, and so Paul's going to be safe. Um, what did it mean that this plot didn't work? Why did God allow Paul to escape this near-death scare? Um, well, Paul did get to live on, but it would mark the start of five years of imprisonment until his appeal could be heard. Talk about the wheels of justice turning slowly. Well, they turn slow in Rome too, right? Um, after that, he's going to be released for a couple years, rearrested, and get beheaded by Emperor Nero. So here's what we're saying. Think about Paul's life, the man that we know of as Paul from the Scriptures. The last 10 years of Paul's life were going to be very hard years, years in which it would be easy for him to feel forgotten by God. Now, there's something great about planting churches, seeing them grow, being admired by all the young preacher boys and, and, and the followers in churches and things, getting to write books and stuff like that. Um, but of course, uh, you know, that's in the last uh, 10 years of Paul's life, it wasn't about cool church planning as much as imprisonment. Um, and it'd be easy to feel forgotten during those last years where you weren't doing as much as you did. I know many minister, you know, it's hard for ministers to retire, hard for anybody to retire, you know, but ministers are used to being in the churches and things, and then, you know, they, they're getting old and dealing with all the other things and stuff like that. God had not forgotten him. God was simply was shifting the way Paul would be used during the last years of his life. In these later years, his prison ministry did result in many salvations. It did force many Roman officials to weigh the gospel's message and religious liberties and implications. And actually, during the last 10 years, he wrote seven more books of the Bible. So he actually wrote more in the latter years than the years up to then, six in the early 10, seven in those 10 last hard years. But, you know, Paul's life testifies that he was never deterred, never alone, never forgotten. And maybe you're like Paul. Maybe you've survived some type of scare, maybe not. But you sense that God is currently shifting the way you'll be used in the next part of your life. And you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Paul models for us okay, even though he didn't get to do as much of what he had done in the past. Um, God reassured Paul that as he had testified in Jerusalem, he would now testify in Rome. God had used Paul as a planter. He was going to use Paul now as a political prisoner. So there's your fill in the blank. And after he died, he was going to be with Jesus forever. Um, but don't be deterred from what God is leading you to do for him, brothers and sisters. I, I oftentimes talk with discouraged older adults who um, are thinking, well, I used to be able to do this, and now I can't. I used to serve this way, and now I can't. It's just different. I used to be able to just come all the time. Now I miss some Sundays. You know, I'm watching you online more, different things like that. And there are seasons of life. You know, we know, we all know here, Jimmy and Dolores Hall would be here if they could, but they got six weeks where their focus has to be another place, you know, and they're still going to watch us online. They listen to this, um, you know, so they're going to be with us in that way and they're not going to forget us. We don't want to forget them. Uh, but, you know, the, the, what we do in different seasons of life does shift. And we also see that as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, you know, uh, still faithful, just doing different things. So don't be deterred from what God is leading you to do for him. Have courage as you face tough things. You're never alone and you are never forgotten. So don't ever be deterred from finishing well. Let's pray.
Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.